Hey everyone, I'm Jordy, the Bible School and Tech Director here, and welcome or welcome back to Impact Life Church's online experience. After the message, please take a moment to like or subscribe, but most importantly, we hope that this message inspires you to impact this generation for Jesus. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good, ready to rock and roll? Man, it's good to be here. Man, you guys look great. I see some tans in the house. You're just trying to keep up. I understand. I understand. <laughs> I'm just playing with you. Man, we're so glad. And you know, this is, as you know, Jamie said, this, it's sad, our last Saturday evening service for the summer, but we're kicking off September 14th. So you put that in your calendar. September 14th, we'll be back just before the snow hits. <laughs> I'm just, I, <laughs> just making sure we're all, you know, understanding what's about to come. We're, we're ending now just so you can enjoy the summer, but winter's on the way. Sorry, I shouldn't say that to you. I understand. Sensitive subject. But uh, if you got your Bibles with you this evening, let's, let's just let's get in and let's just talk about what we've been discussing for the past little while. And we're talking about Christian killers. And I know it started off with um, an amazing panel of hearing different speakers, and they did a phenomenal job. And then uh, Pastor Sheila did the Saturday night before that. Last week we talked a little bit about just kind of laying a foundation on the reason why we don't want Christian killers affecting our lives. And uh, for those of you that weren't, weren't here, you were able to, weren't able to join us or just missed the whole last weekend because of YC or whatever, uh, then I just want to encourage you, we do have our, um, our podcast. Oh, we'll do that. Just make a new table. Thank you very much. That one looks prettier. Thank you. That looks, 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 looks better for the TV too. So when I just, at the same time, all those that are on Facebook Live, hey guys, we want to welcome you. Welcome to the living room. You're probably sitting in your own living room as well. And we're glad you came to join us. And as I said last week, we kind of laid out a little bit of a foundation on why we don't want these Christian killers affecting our lives. So if you've got your Bibles again, I'm going to, lay about a, I'm going to give about a five-minute quick foundation to what we discussed, because it's going to go into something powerful tonight. And I'm excited about tonight. It took me a long time in my own brain to kind of lay this thing out, because I believe, and I wanted just to get this really accurate. And I'm excited about this, because this affected my life, and I know it will affect yours. And uh, the Christian killer we discussed last week then was not knowing what you were a part of by hooking up with Jesus. No, when you hooked up with him, it's not just that it wasn't just, you know, a one time, a one night stand. It wasn't just a one Sunday event. You are now connected to this man. And what are you now a part of? And that's what we discussed a little bit last or last week. And so Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 9 and 10, it gives us a clear, real foundation of what it is, how you get saved, how you get brought into this kingdom. Remember it says this, if you openly, come on, read it with me. If you openly declare, declare what? That Jesus, is Lord. that Jesus is Lord. Not, you know, believing in something else, not believing in some preacher, some other cool guy, not Buddha, not Allah. It says Jesus. If you declare Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. saved. This is it. So this is why we make a big deal about the name of Jesus. Because it's by that name that we are saved you know your entire eternity is dependent on you trusting the name of jesus like think about that that's why we put this name at such reverence we honor this name we make much of this name because god said in his word that there is no other name under heaven meaning in earth that people or men can be saved so it's jesus we call on jesus we speak and when you openly declare him as lord the bible says you're saved and Jesus said in his word that no man, no devil is able to pluck you out of his hand. Man, I love that word. Isn't that good? Then go on in verse 10. It says, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. How I many you know you believe with your heart, not your head? 
Now that's a whole other subject, but just so we're clear. You believe it in your heart, and then it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Saved. Again, just say it with me, saved. Doesn't it feel so good when you can just say those words? And I know we, we say it a lot in Christian circles. If you grew around the church much or if you've been around here much, we say, I am saved. Now, don't let that just be kind of cliche, but think about it. I'm safe. Like, there's nothing better. I remember we played, you know, we had some church league baseball going on a little while ago. And there's nothing better than the empire. All of a sudden, you run rounding around home base, aiming for that home plate to get that run. Nothing better than the umpire just to go. What does that mean? For those of you that have no idea what baseball is, umpire is the guy in the back that kind of stands there with a you know, black and gray suit. And he's the one that, you know. Now, thank God. Now, when you called on Jesus, you, you don't get this. You get. Oh man, there's nothing better than that. So your life is, oh, it's a good place to be. So declaring Jesus is Lord, and we looked again real quickly, but what does it mean if you hear, look at the word, the word Lord, if you check it out in the dictionary, it literally means is that to be supreme in power and authority. So when you declare Jesus is Lord, you are literally saying, Jesus, you are the boss of my life. What you say goes. Your thoughts now will become my thoughts. Your ways will become my, your, my ways. And my life is for you to command. When you're saying that, when you declare Jesus is Lord, it's not just a freebie. Okay, now I just get this. Now what did you sign up for? Now your entire life is now you submitting to His Lordship. He is now the boss of your life. Anybody have Him as your boss? It's a good place to be. I love my boss. He's wonderful. He's amazing. And again, the primary purpose, and this will be discussed if you missed last week, I encourage you, please go back and get this. It'll just lay a solid foundation. So the primary purpose for your and my life, according to Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30, is that we are to look just like Jesus. Jesus even said that in his gospels, I believe John chapter 12, he even told his disciples that the teach or that the students will be just become like the teacher. So this is the Holy Spirit's job now for you and my, like he lives on the inside of us. He wants you to live, to act, to think, to talk just like Jesus. Jesus is not just an example for you, he's an example of you. So when you see Jesus operating in the Gospels, guess what? You can do that too. Why? Because you got the same Holy Spirit, right? You're anointed by him, he's on the inside of you. You can operate just like Jesus operates. So that's why we discuss all this and just talking about, you know, bitterness and, you know, unforgiveness and strife. And we don't want any of that because it affects who God called us to be. We are Jesus people. Say it, I'm a Jesus person. Right? Online too, you say that. I, I'm a Jesus person. This is who I am. So no matter what tries to come at me, remember this, every attack the enemy tries to bring against you is an identity attack. He's trying to get you off of who you really are. You are a child of the Most High God. Your aim in life, you're the biggest call that you have in this life is to look just like Him. And so anything else that tries to come against you is trying to get you off task of what that primary call is. So that's why I won't allow any of that in my life. I don't want it. Why? Because this is who I am and this is what God's called me to be. Right? Okay. So now moving on. <clears throat> that's just a quick little layout for what we've discussed last week. Tonight, I want to talk about, this is the Christian killer we're going to talk about this evening, is living for the wrong audience. And I'm going to just take some time and hash this out, and we're going to, we're going to get into this. Now, I'm going to just say it up front, I love all y'all, but we're going to get into this. We're going to just take some time, and I, I really want to open this up, because there is nothing worse than living for the wrong audience. In fact, it can eventually take over, and you can miss out on your whole God-given destiny. 
And this is something that the Lord's been revealing to me. So it's not that I have this all nailed down. This is something that I'm still in the works of is I want to make sure I'm living for the right audience. And that's him, not here. Right? So John chapter 8. And I'm going to just give you a little thing about this is what Jesus did. This is who he was. And at the very last part of this verse, I mean, this is right after Jesus just, again, healed a man on the Sabbath and they got mad at him. Typical religious folk. They just get mad at every little thing external. And uh, the very last sentence that Jesus said, these last seven words, just really struck me as I was just spending some time with the Lord this week. And Jesus said this. He said, I, for I always do what pleases Him. So can we just say that together? I always do what pleases Him. Now you can see right here, this is His motive. This is, what he's, this is where He's coming from. And actually, if you look back in John chapter 5, I believe it's verse 41, He actually said to the Pharisees, I don't care about your approval. Your approval means nothing to me. So this is a big thing. And I know this is quite, you know, we've probably heard this and maybe you've maybe heard this before. Uh, but there's a, a, actually just wait, let me just back up a little bit. Jesus did not say, I do what pleases me. He did not say, I do, I live to please people. What did he say? I live to please God. My father, this is who I live to please. I live to please him. Now, Jesus lived his life in such a way that he wasn't focused on the approval of other people. He wasn't looking for the applause of men. Instead, he lived boldly as he looked to fulfill the plan and purpose of his father. Now, just before we make any excuses, well, he was the son of God. And, you know, of course, he could just live for God. And that's how it is. You know, when Jesus came to this earth, Philippians tells us that he took off all divinity, everything God-like. He took it off, stripped himself of it, and he became a man, right? And then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, I got that on the screen for you too. But this is talking about Jesus. It says, Jesus understands humanity, for as a man, our magnificent king priest was, what? Tempted in every way, just as we are, and then go on to say, without sin. He conquered sin, yet without it. So no matter where you've been, no matter what you've experienced, it says this, that Jesus has been tempted. How I many know to be tempted is not wrong? Anybody ever been tempted before? Three people. Y'all been tempted. Now, temptation is not a problem. If you get tempted, that is not a sin. That's, that's, that's freeing. If you, if you fall into, that's not a sin. Sin happens is when you go beyond the temptation and you act on it, right? But being tempted isn't sin. Jesus was tempted, yet without sin. But he knows how you feel. He's been there. I'm, yeah, I know this, that Jesus, the temptation to please men was always there. Had to have been there. Why? Because otherwise, how could he be a faithful high priest for us who now live in this day and age? Right? So he's experienced it. So Jesus was able to effectively help mankind because... Now, here's the thing that the Lord helped me with. But Jesus was able to effectively help mankind because he was free from the approval of people. He is completely free. And so this is where we want to get in order to effectively help people... Even in your family, those that you work with, wherever you're in your world, to effectively help them, you've got to be free from their opinion. You've got to break free from those things entirely. So now I want to just show you um, a little experience that Jesus had. And I want you to remember that, yes, Jesus is 100% Son of God, and He is also 100% Son of Man. So He is both, right? But He came and He experiences earth just like you and I. So I want to go, just go to John chapter 7 for a moment. And before we read these passages, I want to actually just give you a little bit of a foundation to what took place in this. Because I've never preached out of John chapter 7, 1 through 11 before. I've never done that, so this is the first for me. 
<laughs> tomorrow morning will be my second time. So <laughs> maybe come back tomorrow and use a little better version of it. But I've never, it's just a different segment of it. But leading up to John chapter 7, John chapter 6, anybody know what this is familiar for? Right? I mean, Jesus just fed the 5,000 men, and it doesn't say, including women and children were there, but, you know, so that could have been around 12, 13,000 people. Jesus just fed them. So what happens is, you know, they wanted to make him king. He said, yeah, this is the man. This is the guy that's going to come in, get rid of Rome, and it's going to be glorious for us. And so what did Jesus do? He slipped away because that wasn't the purpose. That wasn't why he came to do right at this moment. So he slipped away and he went to go be with his father. His disciples left at nighttime. And, you know, all of a sudden Jesus goes and he's now uh, with his disciples the next day. And these same people that were fed the, night, the day before, they came back looking for Jesus, saying, Man, there, there, Jesus, where were you? We're, we're so excited to see you. We want to see some more of this miracle stuff. And Jesus said, You don't really want the true bread of life. You actually just came for more food. Right? That's what people are looking for. They, hey, we're hungry. This is what we want. So right after this, you know, Jesus starts having this whole discussion explaining that what the miracle that I just did, you're just looking at it as a miracle, but you're not seeing that actually the miracle I just did re reveals who I really am. I am the bread of life. This is who I am. So Jesus began this whole spiel on eat my flesh, drink my blood. Remember that? So if you actually, if you got your Bibles, just look back for a sec, John chapter 6, just to show you a few, <laughs> a few cases in this. Because, I mean, that's a bit of a different message. All of a sudden, you come up here and say, hey, everybody, eat me. Eat my word. Tell, you know, just go ahead and you eat my flesh and you drink my blood and you'll have eternal life. Say, what now? So it, he's speaking from a different planet, different realm. He's speaking from a spiritual perspective, not, of course, just literally eat my flesh. Right? He's not a cannibal. But if you look at it, verse 60, it says, Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? 61, Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think of if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life, human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life, but some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew which ones would betray him. Then he said, this is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. I noticed this. This is a big one. John 6, 66. 666. That's how I always stick to it. Bad words. Bad numbers, I mean. And at this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. Now, these are his followers. These are his men that all of a sudden turned around and said, we're out of this. We can't even, we can't even listen to this anymore. Jesus turned to the 12 and he said, are you going to leave too? And Simon Peter, of course, planned out. He said, Lord, well, Jesus, we're all in. Like, my, somebody's got my boat now. I, I can't go back. So I, I'm even going to follow you even if it means the cross. I, I'm just, I'm going to go with you. So at this point, this is now the whole thing that we've just seen. Now Jesus lost a lot of people that day. A lot of people think that's, man, that was a, that was a crappy day. That was a very unsuccessful day. Not according to God. <laughs> so I want you now, John chapter 7, verse 1. Now you've heard all this. People have left him. Now it picks up right here. Are you ready? Okay. Now we're talking about the Christian killer is to... Making sure we're living for the right audience. So verse 1 says, After this, Jesus traveled extensively throughout the province of Galilee, but he, what? Avoided the province of Judea, for he knew the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem were plotting to have him killed. Now just think about this. Jesus is a man. He's got feelings. He's got emotions. Right? Verse 2 goes on to say, Now the annual Feast of Tabernacles was approaching, so Jesus' brothers came to advise him. 
Now, aren't you thankful that you're always going to have some people in your life who always will try to give you advice? And a lot of times they happen to be in the very same household that you're a part of. Anybody ever have that before? You got some well-intended family members who know what's best for you, so they're going to give you some advice. Anybody ever have that before? Right? Okay, maybe I'm the only one, but I, they got the most advice, which you should do. Anybody got a translation that say, hey, Jesus, this is what you should do? I think some translations say they were telling him what he should do. Then verse 3 says, Why don't you leave the countryside villages and go to Judea where the crowds are so that your followers can see your miracles? No one can see what you're doing here in the backwoods of Galilee. How do you expect to be successful and famous if you do all these things in secret? Now is your time. Go to Jerusalem, come out of hiding, and show the world who you are. So what they're trying to do is he, they're trying to get Jesus' Instagram account trying to be not private. <laughs> they're forcing him to come out in public. Prove who you really are. This is who it is. Now notice why they said all this. His brothers were, what? Pushing him, even though they didn't yet believe in him as Savior. Now just here's on a quick side note. An unbelieving heart will always demand proof. Always. If they're unbelieving in anything, well, prove it to me. You don't, and this is, I, I heard this phrase, this was a while ago, but you don't have to post it to prove it. And that's, I just like, yeah, I like that. that was, I can't remember I heard that, but that was, that was good. Verse 6, Jesus responded, My time of being unveiled hasn't yet come, but any time a suitable opportunity for you to gain man's approval. Ooh, Jesus is getting a little salty, man. He's getting a little, getting a little upset. I mean, I like the way Jesus is. He's talking back to his brothers. For you to gain man's rule. Verse 7. The world can't hate you, but it does me, for I'm exposing their evil deeds. Now, if you've never been expected, you know, confrontation in the, from the evil side of the things, maybe because you're running alongside the devil. You can see that where Jesus said. You can go ahead and celebrate the feast without me. My appointed time has not yet come. So Jesus lingered in Galilee until his brothers had left for the feast in Jerusalem. Then later, Jesus took a back road and went into Jerusalem in secret. During the feast, the Jewish leaders kept looking for Jesus and asking around, Where is he? Have you seen him? Now a controversy was brewing among the people with so many different opinions about Jesus. Some were saying he's a good man, while others were convinced and insisted saying, No, he's just a uh, demagogue, demagogue, meaning he's a fraud or a deceiver. Verse 13, Yet no one was bold enough to speak out publicly on Jesus' behalf for fear of the Jewish leaders. So that's the only scripture I wanted to read out that we're going to talk around. So this, when you live your life trying to please people, you will feel pressure to perform. If you're living your life in any kind of way, for the audience of people, you will always feel the pressure to perform. Jesus' brothers were pressuring him to get him, his followers back. Jesus, you lost a bunch of guys. You lost all these, like, you lost a ton of people. Now, we got a great plan for you. Why don't you come out of hiding? Why don't you go in front of everybody? Leave this countryside, this backwoods, where nobody can see you. And why don't you just make yourself public and start doing all these miracles? Then you can get them all back. Right? There's this pressure. Now, just think of it from Jesus. There's this pressure from his brothers. Pressures from family. Come on, like, come on. Why don't you come and do this? Why don't you be part of this? This would be good if you became part of this group, wouldn't you know? What did Jesus do? Well, he's hanging back. So Jesus, again, isn't 
do, is, he's all for miracles. He isn't against doing the miracles. He's not going to perform them for the wrong reasons to get likes or to get followers. This is what they're telling me to do. Is come out of hiding. Do some miracles. Is Jesus against doing miracles? No. But he's not going to do it for the wrong reason. So the pressure was on. Jesus was going to Judea, just not yet. Jesus was going to show the world who he was. He just wasn't going to do it for, the, for boasting or for the wrong reasons. Now, the culture that we live in today, and I, I saw this, this is a, um, I guess a doctoral term, but it's the, in, in culture we see a lot of performance anxiety, right? Where you have to perform. I mean, and this isn't just for people that have to be on stage or have to perform in different areas. You could be a mom, a dad, a worker, any kind of way. You have to constantly perform in front of people. And social media does not help. If you think about it for a sec, you, maybe you've made your family an amazing meal. It's only real if you make an Instagram story about it. If it's not posted, it's not real. Right? Because what are we trying to do? We are trying to constantly perform for people who actually don't care about us. Anybody ever had that problem before? I mean, for me, I know that's one thing that I had to just watch myself is because what am I doing when I post something even on social media? What's the purpose, the motive behind it? I want to see, I want people to see that I'm, I'm doing stuff. I'm, I'm active. I'm actually around. When people ask you, how are you doing? What's the first word that comes out of your mouth usually? Oh, I'm really busy. Why? Because we have to perform for people constantly. The pressure to say, I'm just relaxing and I'm just kind of chilling and laying back a little bit would be like, what's wrong with you? So the pressure to perform is always there. It's always going to be there. Right? <laughs> and culture constantly is also telling us to be different, to be unique, to stand out from amongst the crowd. But the reality is you already are before you post it. You're in Christ. You already are. Right. Now, one of the things I love about our Jesus is that he was authentic. Notice, I'm so glad Jesus didn't come. Yeah, you know, that's a good idea. I'm going to just go and showcase everything. Yes, he's complete man. He's complete God. Notice what God did do. He didn't just come out here and start showing off what he could do at the, at the pressure of mankind saying, God, why don't you? God, we need this. Why don't you do your miracles? He's not moved by that. We don't tell him what to do. You see his brothers. Come on, Jesus, go and do this. He is not moved by what you just think ought to be right. <laughs> Jesus was authentic, meaning he was only interested in living for his father. He had, no, he had a no-pressure lifestyle. He didn't have to prove himself. When what you do and who you are is authentic, the pressure to perform is gone. You can just be you. Be real. That's what we're looking for is just be you. That's what people are looking for in church is be you. Right? A lot of times we come on with these masks. We come on with all these different filters to present ourselves right. Jesus loves you the way that you are before the filter. Thank God for that. That's what I'm talking about. Now, when you feel pressure, then you have to prove it. And when you have to prove something, it takes the joy out of it. Anybody ever do that? Like, well, prove it. So what do you do? You, okay, I got, I got to perform. I got to act. And there's no more heart. There's no more excitement in it. All the joy is gone. So pressure to perform also challenges what you believe in. And I want to just show you this. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 12 through 27. This is just a, a phenomenal verses of scripture. And this is, of course, everybody knows this about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? And what happened? King Darius, or sorry, Nebuchadnezzar 
uh, built a 90-foot statue of himself, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. And he told everybody, when you hear the music, all the instruments going off, you are to bow before this statue. If you don't, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, what is that? Pressure. <laughs> Hot pressure. Right? If you don't bow, guess what? You're going to burn. <laughs> so verse 12, we'll pick it up here. So right afterwards, the old instruments went and everybody bowed down before this statue except for three men. Now notice it's not just a single guy because if it was just Shadrach, who knows what he would have done. But I think it's some power when you're in unity with people. And I ain't bowing down on this. I got, I got brothers beside me. Right? We're going to stand on this together. And so, of course, some of these other, you know, astrologers just came up to King Nebuchadnezzar and said, King, there's three guys that aren't going to bow. And so we, this is where we pick up. But there are such, some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. So the pressure is on. What are they doing? Throwing it to the side. They pay no attention to the pressure. I love that. This is what I want to aspire to be. Pay no attention to anything external pressure that's coming on me. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. <laughs> then Nebuchadnezzar... <laughs> flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, you know, I'm going to read it from my Bible. That's just, I sound like I can't read. <laughs> TV's too small. It's not you, it's not you up there, whoever's up there. Is that Kai up there? It's not you, it's, it's the screen. Daniel Hosea, there it is. Daniel chapter 3, what verse am I on? 14. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what god will be able to rescue you from my power? What is that? Pressure. It's pressure. Verse 16, I love these words. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, so there's honor, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your God or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. Now that is, that's angry. Anybody ever distorted face before in anger? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kids yelling for you, they missing a sock at 2 o'clock in the morning? Something like that? He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames, but suddenly, everybody say, but suddenly. Man, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the far fourth looks like a god. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And so it says that they came out. But you look at this, what came? Pressure, pressure, pressure. Now I just wrote this down. <laughs> but living for the wrong audience, you will burn. What would have happened if, you know, they, they okay, this is the thing. If, if you, you, when you hear the music and you are supposed to down, bow down before that statue, they would have just bowed down. Eventually they would have burned. Because I remember hearing this quote, what you compromise to keep, you will eventually lose. You will eventually lose. If you bow to the pressure, you burn. If you don't bow to the pressure, you can't burn. You can't burn. So what is this constant world trying to do? Pressure. 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 Just cave in. Just, you know, just, does really God really going to stand up? Hang on to it. Now here's the thing. How long do you hang on? Until. This is the time these guys were thrown in the fiery furnace. Now, a lot of times we are always believing God that, you know, that doesn't come to the place where we get thrown into a tough area and we're getting thrown into the fiery furnace. But you know what? I believe this, that in the day and age that we are living in, I believe we need some furnace walkers. What happens? What, what, the whole result of this whole thing is that God reached and saved an entire nation through three men. So what do we need? We need some men and women of God who will, even under the pressure, even as the door is opening to the furnace, are refusing to change their minds and buckle under that pressure. Even if you got to go in. Guess what? The fourth man shows up. He always does. But we need to be that, those people that refuse to bow when pressure comes against us. Because what's on the inside of you has to be stronger than what's coming against you. And the further we going into these end days, the more and more we got to be built up on the inside. That's why we talked last week about this relationship with Jesus has to be strong. Has to be our main focus. Has to be everything about our lives. Because listen, the outside pressure, it's not going to stop. It's not. It's not going to get lighter. It's not going to get easier out there. So what does that mean? We have got to be stronger in here. So there's got to be something greater. First John 4 tells us that, that greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world, i got to work on that relationship because I'm not buckling under the pressure. Jesus, come out of hiding. Like, get out of there. Man, stop going around Galilee. Get into Judea so that everybody can see you. Now, the temptation, I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus, uh, come here, brothers, I'll show you all about this stuff. And I'll put you perform it. Jesus didn't buckle under that pressure. Did he want to do the miracles? Absolutely. But he was going to do it for the right reasons. Not for boasting, not so that people can go, oh, look at him. This is why he's doing this. No, I'm doing it for the right motive. Right? Is this making sense? Okay. And now this is a, another side of it. Let me encourage you. If I live my life to perform for others, eventually it will kill me. You can't be that somebody to all people every single time. It is impossible. I cannot find my joy in your brain. I can't find my peace in what you do or what you don't do. I have to have that on the inside. Right? Pressure. At the same time, too, pressure is not a leading. Pressure from people is not a lifestyle. It doesn't affect who you are. If you refuse to bow to that pressure, that doesn't change who you are. God is the one that defines you. And at the same time, even when all the peer pressure comes up, I mean, we've got a couple of high school students in here, the drinking, all these things that come up here, and a lot of people pushing, you know, this is what we do, we just have abortions, and we just do this, all these pressures coming on, and the media and culture says, it's good, it's fine. What are they doing? Pressure. Pressure. And what do we do? And a lot of times believers, oh, just, we crumble under it. Reason why? We don't, want, we don't want what we're going to be facing. There's too much. 
No way. We got to stand our ground. Even if criticism comes your way, even if they don't like you, guess what? So be it. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. And eventually, guess what? I'm going to win him over anyway. Why? Because people are looking for truth. They're looking for strength. And we possess that. Amen. Okay. Now, another thing on this is if you go back to John chapter 7, I love what Jesus said in verse 1. It says that Jesus, he avoided the province of Judea on purpose. Why? Because the Pharisees were trying to kill him. So the question that the Lord even just had me is, hmm, if Jesus purposely stayed away from Judea, what or who do you need to purposely stay away from in this season? What do you need to stay away from? What's pressuring you? Get away from it. Jesus on purpose wasn't going there. What did he do? He avoided that. I ain't, I'm not even going near that. So the same thing, what do you need to actually be staying away from? Now, to combat a pressure to perform, this is what the Lord just showed me and helped me with so much, is knowing the season of life that you are in. To combat the pressure to perform and appease the audience, you got to know the season that you're in. Know what it is. Because the way that I define success, success is understanding the season of life that I'm in and fulfilling and accomplishing that season. I'm not in somebody else's season. I'm in my season. And so, again, this is a personal example for me. But one of the things that I do, especially, you know, as a, as a pastor, as someone who's, you know, running a church, uh, I got a lot of buddies that, you know, are different pastors. And they Instagram, you know, things that are going on in the services. And this is what we've been preaching on. This is what we've been doing. And these are, these are the results we've been having. And this is, you know, what, what's going on in my life. And sometimes I look at that and I go, oh, I'm not there. Sometimes I go, Why, what on earth am I doing? This, this stinks compared to what you got. I can't do anything. And the temptation is just to go and compare. And this is my next point on it. We'll get to that too. Is but pressure to look like someone else. If I'm wanting to please the audience, then automatically the pressure to look like someone else will be there. And I've fallen into that a few times where I've tried to be somebody. I'm not. I try to preach like somebody. I tried it. I even threw on the American accent and everything. <laughs> Does it work? No. People ask, where are you from? Red Deer? Really? I thought you were from like the Carolinas or, or Texas or something, y'all. And it's just like, what's wrong with you? And so you, you're trying to define yourself and you're trying to, you know, this is where I'm at. And the Lord was so helpful for me in all these areas is this is the season that I'm in. I'm in raising children right now. I have three kids. So my season is not in traveling. And this was a big one for me. And Jamie can attest to that. Because not only do we have this church, but as I said before, we also got a ministry impacting Canada. And we got about, there's 13 churches, 35 pastors in it. We got five traveling ministers that go across Canada. And so that the, the requests are, hey, why don't you come over here? Why don't you do this? And for me, it looked good because it's something different. Oh, yeah, that, that looks awesome. And, the, and the, not that they were putting pressure on me. I was putting pressure on myself to perform because I'm the leader of Impacting Canada Ministries and I have to look a certain way. I got to talk a certain way. I got to preach a certain way and they got to like it and it's got to be good. And if it's not good, then I suck. Anybody? If it, don't judge me. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm working through. And the Lord just had to really arrest me. This is where you're at. You are a pastor of a local church in Red Deer. You have a beautiful wife. You got three young children in their years, formative years. You are a dad as well. Don't forget that. And so understanding my season has helped me tremendously. So now when I look at these pictures, I just go, oh, yeah, I'll like that. But I'm not going to go, what's wrong with you, Joel? Why aren't you doing some of these things? I'm just looking at what God has given me and rejoicing and celebrating in it. Because this goes again, leads into the next point. 
living for the wrong audience, you'll experience pressure to look like someone else. It'll always be there because if you even look at the life of Jesus, he suffered such scrutiny from the Pharisees constantly. What were they trying to do? The Pharisees were trying to mold Jesus into one of them. This is who we are. And so what are they? Why does he eat? Why does he eat with them? Why is he talking to her? Why didn't he wash his hands before a meal? <laughs> well, that is <laughs> You guys ever been in one of those restaurants before and they have one of those, um, what are they called? Restaurant? What's it? No, not finger bowl. I'm talking about an actual person that's in the room. Uh, what's it called? Like, they're, they're there to, you know, give you some cologne or some gum. And what is it called? A matron Maitre d. Anybody ever been in a bathroom with one of those maitre d's? So after you, you know, you go to the bathroom, you kind of do your thing. And I remember one time this guy just kind of looked at me and just kind of stared at me like, it's really creepy. Like, what, what are you doing? I'm just making sure you're going to wash your hands. Like, too much. You know what? I'm going to just use the family bathroom next time. You, you are just too weird, man. Get away from me. But all of this pressure just comes on you. And so again, like, what do they do to Jesus? Um, they said to him, you know, your disciples didn't wash their hands before the eating. What's wrong with them? You healed on the Sabbath. Why did he do this? So all of this thing is because different challenges people. Different challenge them. Jesus challenged the status quo. He shined light on their ignorance and sin. Passion is a threat to people's apathy. And the Pharisees wanted to conform Jesus to be just like them. That was their goal. Jesus was just too radical. He was too different. He was getting results and they weren't. So what did they do? They kept coming at him, kept coming at him, asking him questions, not to, out of they wanted to know. They came at him because they wanted to try to catch him. But is that pressure constantly from the outside? And again, I just keeps coming up, but pressure is not a leading. It doesn't lead you. If all of a sudden you're feeling pressure from a boss, you're feeling pressure from a roommate, you're feeling pressure on finances, those don't lead you. Oh, money's tight. I'm just going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to uproot and going to go somewhere else where all those money is. There's no church there. Is that where, is that really what God's calling you to? Like you got to think of some of the, all these things are trying to come to pressure you to make you make a decision that may be out of the will of God. And then people go, well, where's God in this whole thing? Pressure has gotten to you. And now it's causing you to make a decision that God never asked you to. It's dangerous ground, right? Okay. So this is the choice that we have. And I love that when Chip Brim was here, he said these words. Uh, he said, you weren't born to lose, you were born to choose. So this is the choice that we have to make on the inside, is this. Am I living for the applause of men, or am I living to hear the well done? This is what I'm going for. I want to hear well done. Anybody else want to hear those words? I'm willing to do whatever it takes to hear that well done. So now, if we have the wrong mentality, our motivation will be wrong. Do I do things for, so someone says thank you? That's empty. Like, why do I do what I do? This is something even just we were talking as a team this past week. And one of the things that even just a little while ago, the Lord helped me. Why do I preach the gospel? Do I love it so that I know it's nice to hear the sound of my voice on replay? Do I love it because, you know, I'm here I am standing in a spotlight and here I am able to speak God's word? Is that my motivation? That I'm wrong. My motivation has to be, I love God. I love him. I don't look for the high five after the message. I don't. Because if I look for the high five, guess what I'm going to be having to doing every single week? And what happens if I don't get a high five? Uh, what did I do wrong? Why didn't they like it? My approval doesn't come from you. I can't look for it there. Where does it have to come from? 
comes from Him. And this is my motivation. So I am doing things so that even if I try to help somebody, I'm not doing it so I get a thank you. That's so low. I'm living out of purpose, not just, you know, a little praise. Amen. So again, and this is one of the things the Lord was showing me, but your private devotion, not public praise. I'm going to serve God and love people not so I can get a high five for someone. I'm going to love people because I love Jesus. I'm going to go and reach somebody in Walmart because that tends to be me like my spot. Why? Because I think that I'm able to go get an appraise and maybe I'll get a Walmart vest one day. <laughs> maybe. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> That's not my purpose. I'm going to do it regardless if anybody notices it or not because my private devotion is more important than public praise. I live for Him regardless of what happens. I'm going to. Anybody else with me on that? Are you not waiting for somebody to go, oh, a boy, that's good, good job, way to go, we're doing that outreach. We're going to do it regardless if anybody likes it or not, that we're going to do it, right? Okay, I'm glad we're all excited about that. So now, in motivating, or sorry, in choosing to live for the well done, I'm living to please God. <laughs> and we've heard this before, but we are living for an, an invisible audience of one. This is what I do. And in Matthew chapter 6, Verse 1 through 6. I want to just read these verses to you. Everybody doing okay? This is, this is, okay. Matthew 6, verse 1. It says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Now, I know you may have heard that, but if you think about it for a sec. Why do I do my good deeds? Am I doing it to be admired by others? If so, I've lost my reward from my father. I'm doing it for him. I don't care. I don't have to post it to prove it. I don't. If I'm going out on the street, I'm not going to post and say, Oh, man, look who I just reached. What happens? That's my reward right there. I get my 14 likes. That's my reward. And what did it say? I lost my reward from my heavenly father. Verse 2. When you, give, when you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in what? Private. private. Everything with God is done privately. Privately. And your father, notice what, who sees everything, what are you going to do? reward you and guess what the reward is done openly wow i love this now next verse five when you pray and i know we know these some of these things but i want you to see it from this context when you pray don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them i tell you the truth that is all the reward they will ever get so guess what they're not getting their prayers answered this is the reward. They got seen by people. Verse 6. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. What did I say now? Verse 16. Now look at verse 16 for a sec. Turn the page over. He goes on to say, And when you fast, don't make it obvious so that you're the hip, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, this is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting. 
This is serious. God does not want you showcasing what you do. Except for your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything, he will reward you. God sees in private. Now, I believe in my private life is right before God. My public life will be influential. Again, this is kind of tying in what we talked about last week, but everything with God is a private life. If your private life with God is strong, guess what? Your public life will be strong. I should get an amen on that one. Because what do we do so much of the time? We spend so much time on the external. I'm going to do this good deed, and I'm going to work at doing it, so that I can take you know, some pictures and make myself look good. But if you are just got a good private life, these will come automatically to you. Can you see that? It's not a work. It's, it's, it's an inner, I, I want to. I get to do this. And let me just put this in a little bit further. But living for Jesus privately will help my marriage. When I have a strong devotion for God, my private life with God is solid. I'm not looking just for a natural connection just with Jamie. If I have a good relationship with Jesus on my private life, it's going to bless our marriage. Now let me just show you this in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. <clears throat> Let's talk about this for a little bit. It says, wives, this means submit to your husband's ass to the Lord. I don't want to do that. That just seems so lame. If your private life with God is good, this becomes normal. It says the verse before, submit yourselves to one another as to the Lord. If your private life is right, guess what? This is going to work out. It's easy. Verse 23, for a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to the husbands in... Thank you, ladies in everything this isn't bad stuff this is wonderful yeah exactly Terry. this is protection this is to secure you this is to hold you still but then it goes on to say husbands you're not out of this us guys we got a role too husbands this means love your wives message Bible says go all out for your wife just as Christ loved the church just as he loved the church what does that mean it hurt him so it may be when you're watching the game and your wife wants to talk to you about the day, guess what? It's going to have to hurt. Turn off the TV. I'm glad I'm the only one that's agreeing on that. That's what it means. You don't want strife in this whole thing? He gave up his life for her. That's what he did. This is the standard now. It's not, well, you know, I've done this for her. Now she does for me. No, no. Regardless, if she doesn't submit to me, I don't tell her to. My job is to do this. Love her. Can you go to the next one, verse 26? To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or by any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Now, the next thing I want to just go over and talk a little bit about is talking about the workplace. Now, if I love my wife because I love Jesus... And I'll love her because of my private devotion to Jesus. I don't love Jamie because of what she does for me. I love Jamie because my private devotion, the audience of one that I'm living for, when I love this woman, I do it as unto the Lord. I'm not doing it for the sake of Jamie. Yeah, she's going to be blessed by it. But if I'm doing it out of my private devotion for her, or sorry, for him, it's going to bless her. It's going to rock her socks off. Right? 
Now, talking about the workplace, Paul continues to go on and say this. Ephesians 6, verse 5 through 8. He says, slaves are those that are called employees. If you're an employee, he says, obey your earthly math masters with deep respect. This is the standard. doesn't matter how they treat you. Why? Because I'm doing this as unto the Lord. I don't do this for a man. I'm doing it for him. With respect and fear, serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all. Go on, somebody. What does that say? All the time. Not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Then he goes on to say, verse uh, 7, or yeah, work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. There he goes, he says it again. My audience is not here. I'm not all of a sudden, boss is looking. Oh, I'm just sweeping. Oh, hey, boss, I, how you doing? It's a great day. Hey, all of a sudden he leaves the room. Oh, this blows. I hate this job. You know what? You're doing it for the audience of people, not realizing God is watching. And you're wondering, where's my promotion? Promotion doesn't come from the east, the north, the west, the south. Promotion comes from? It comes from God. So if I live and I do my job as unto the Lord, He promotes me. He's going to do it. All of a sudden your boss will look and go, man, there's something about you. I've got to give you the biggest raise I've ever given. So there is God's side to it, and then there's a natural side to it. There's some practical things. You can't just be praying, oh God, I want blessing. I want a bigger job. I want a better job. What are you doing with the one you have now? Are you honoring God with it now? Because if you're not, chances are you're not going to get it. Nothing else is going to come your way. All right. Verse 9. Now, now, just talking about bosses. Masters, bosses, treat your employees in the same way. With respect, the enthusiasm. You're, you're, you're honoring them. You're respecting them. Don't threaten them. <laughs> if you don't, I'm going to. Why? Remember, you both have the same master in heaven. So how I treat my employees, what I'm sowing, I'm also going to be reaping. <laughs> and at the same time, and he has no favorites. And last one that I want to make mention, government officials. <laughs> this is going to feel good. Romans chapter 13. All right. What does it say? First word. Oh, come on. Say it like you mean it. Everyone. Who does that include? That includes me. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. Everyone. I don't like them. Everyone. Doesn't matter. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Verse 2. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against God, against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Alright, let's keep on. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Anybody? Yeah? Well, what does it say? Do what is right, and they will honor you. <laughs> the authorities are God's servants, sent for your good, but if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid. Very afraid. <laughs> for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. This is why you do it. 
So your conscience is clear. Why is it so important to have a conscience there? Because a, con a clear conscience, you can hear the voice of God. You know what is surprising to me? That the same people that I've had to help you know, figure out the plan of God for their life are the same people that badmouth Trudeau on Facebook. I'm absolutely serious. They have no idea that this is all connected. No idea. And can't figure it out. Because what am I doing? Again, this is all coming out of my private life. I love the Lord so much that I love Prime Minister Trudeau. I don't give a rip what he does. If it goes against everything I, what, I, what I would like him to do or against what the Word of God says, my job is not to judge the man. My job is to love the man. God now will take care of him. He's got access to him. God can't get access to this man if all the church is doing is talking about how wrong and how bad he is. God knows. Like this, and this is a perfect example. In Acts chapter 13, there was a horrible King Agrippa. He came in there and he was, you know, killing Christians and doing all these types of things. The church was praying for this king and he came out and showboasted and said, Here I am, the king. An angel from heaven came down and killed him with a sword and a worm came and ate him. That's New Testament. So I'm not throwing that could happen in this day and age. It could happen. I'm not wishing that on anybody, but that can happen. But how did it happen? The church was in their role. Not critiquing, not judging everything that they don't like, what the government does. There's plenty they're going to do wrong. There's a lot of wrong that's going out there. But how do we make it right? Honor. Submit. Authority. And what are we doing? The only way that you can do that is I'm doing it as unto the Lord. Let me just go on. Pay your taxes. Now, I know this isn't like supernatural, spiritual stuff where you're going to go run around, Woo! but this will save your life. If you haven't paid your taxes since 2013, you are unbiblical. Pay them. If I say, pay them. Pay, pay your taxes. Pay your... It belongs to me. It says, too, for the same reasons for government workers need to be paid, they are serving God in what they do. Click verse 7. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. They go to verse 8. No, that's it. That's it. Oh, I feel better. But again, what, what are we choosing to do? Am I choosing to live for the audience of people? Because if that's the case, guess what? I can talk trash about Prime Minister Trudeau and get a lot of people in Alberta liking me. I can. It's easy. And what do you do? You feel justified in doing it. Oh, it's a, it feels right. Yeah, he's doing things wrong. But you could be so right and completely wrong. What does the Word say? This is what the Word says. So my private life, this, again, this isn't just natural for me. Because for me, I like to voice my thoughts. I like to give my opinions. I like to tell who's wrong. Because I'm right. <laughs> In my brain. <laughs> but what has helped me is my private devotion before the Lord. I am here to please Him. What pleases Him? Praying for this man that I'm going to do that. You can read that First Timothy 2. Pray for all who in authority. And it says, for this pleases God. How can I honor this man? I'm going to just lift him up in prayer. Lord, I'm going to just bless him. I'm going to lift up his family. Lord, I ask for their salvation. I pray that the eyes of their understanding would be flooded with light. How can you do that? It's because I'm living for the audience of one. If I'm living for the audience of outside here, listen, there is so much pressure from people that will try to get you just to say something political. Just say it so you can get rid of it. And the moment you say it, it is out there. And what happened? You just succumb to the pressure. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I am refusing to let the pressure dictate to me how I'm going to react. I'm not going to do it. You will not hear me criticize Justin Trudeau ever. Come on, somebody. you got to be in this. I will never hear it come out of my lips. That man, he's a loser. He's got to get out of here. You will never hear those words come out of my lips. Why? Because I love God. I love him. And what's going to happen? You get blessed. God will take care of you. Right? Now, is there any questions with this? Let's just... <laughs> But I just think it's, it's vital in every aspect because these are the types of things that nobody really likes to talk about. But this, in fact, is what's killing Christians. In the workplace, we show up late. We kind of just lackadaisical in our job. You're looking for promotion. Guess what? You're not going to get it. It will never happen to you. Oh, but I'm really smart. I got a PhD. PhD means post hole digger. It, that'll get you nothing. If you don't do what the word says, now listen, if you don't do what the word says, forget the promotion. It doesn't come. I know I'm being very blunt on this, and I'm not apologizing, but we have got to talk about this, because why aren't Christians in the top leadership roles? Why aren't they influencing men huge companies? Is because they're not doing their job. We're missing out and going, God, we, God, we're just praying for a new job. Prove it. Prove it. How am I going to prove it? My devotion towards you. God, I love you. I remember when I, finally, when I first started working here, the job that I got was janitor. I was a janitor at this church for about nine months. And at the same time, what I, I remember coming in here, and this was helpful, the guy that we had that was uh, coming to my uh, Bible graduation. So I graduated Bible school in March 2007, seven? something like that, 2007. And one of the things that he talked about was Tony Cook. And he came and he talked about like one of his first jobs that he had working in a church was a janitorial position, wonderful spot. And he was mumbling and grumbling while he was doing his work. He was in the toilet and he was just cleaning all these things. Like, God, I thought you called me to preach and here I am doing all this. The Lord told him and arrested him. He said, first of all, your attitude stinks. Secondly, I want you to clean this toilet as if I'm going to use it next. That changed his whole caliber. And at the time, I remember I just took that job as the janitorial. And right away, I had to change my attitude on it too and going, I get to do this. So what did I do? I cleaned those bathrooms as good as I possibly can, as if Jesus himself were going to be the next guy to use it. I'm going to make sure that hockey puck is dead center. <laughs> now, ladies, you know what's in the men's change room. That's <laughs> going to make sure it's right in there, right on the... But why do we do this? It's for him. Is there anything too small for him? No. If he told me to vacuum, I will do my best. I'm not too good to do anything for him. I'll do whatever he asks me to do. And if he asks me to pray for my prime minister, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray for him. Pray for my premier. Pray for my mayor. Pray for the, uh, the police officers in this place. Rather than grumbling and the plane, they're just doing this. Stop it. It's wrecking you. You don't know this. It's killing you. It's literally killing you. And we're just keep going off on this. Everything's fine. And meanwhile, we're here to take over the world. How can God use us to take over the world if we can't even do the little itty-bitty stuff of praying for your leader? And God's told you to take over the nation of Canada? How? You can't even pray. So let's just do that for a moment, can we? Father, we just lift up our prime minister, our cabinet, our, the everybody, Father, that's involved. Lord, we lift him up to you, his family to you. And Father, we thank you so much for him. We thank you for his life. 
We thank you for his wife. We thank you for his three kids. Lord, and we speak protection over him. We plead the blood of Jesus over him, especially now as he's traveling from coast to coast. He's doing visitations to jobs. Father, I literally right now hold him up before you. And Father, I ask you that you would open up his eyes to see. Father, your word says that the, the, the heart of a king is in your hands. So, Father, I ask you for giving him wisdom in the daytime, wisdom as he's walking about from place to place, office to office, that you give him ideas, that you send people to come across his path that he wasn't expecting that would just give a word in season for him. Lord, I thank you for it. I believe that. Lord, you are good because you love this nation. You care about the nation of Canada. You love the province of Alberta. So right now I lift up Premier Kenny to you, Lord. I thank you that you give him wisdom. You give him understanding in the name of Jesus to help the, the season that we're in, the financial deficit that we're in. Father, you give him insight and right divine relationships that will cause him to flourish and will cause this uh, the whole Alberta jobs to increase for new ideas coming and new entrepreneurs coming out of this, Father. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And the whole reason is, is so that your word can go forth boldly, you, that we may live peaceable lives. And Father, we thank you for great income coming into the kingdom of God because of all these things. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, doesn't that feel a little bit better? Oh, I'm okay. Do I need to add anything? Do I no? Did you want to add anything? No? I love you because I love him. And my wife is better for it. Right? You like me? We're, we're good? <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong before that we came up to service. I'm just... We are a good team and I just find like, I love this woman so much because she loves Jesus so much. She values Jesus over me and there's nothing greater that I could ask for as a husband is this woman loves God and I'm thankful for it. Thank you for going to those coffee shops and reading the Bible. I always tell the kids, mama's going out for coffee. She's going to go spend some time with God. We want her to do that. That's the, that's the best thing. Like, mama, you go. We're buying your coffee. Give her everything that we can. Uh, Pastor Sheila, when you come up, I'm gonna, we're also going to just show a, a quick... I mean, I think you've seen that, but next week we're excited to announce our legacy offering and uh, we're just so thankful. And, you know, one other cool thing that I've just been pondering and thinking about is, uh, you know, a lot of times people are looking for signs, right? Maybe this will be a Christian killer we talk about, but people are looking for signs. If God, you want me to do this, then I need a sign. Well, the word says that signs follow the word and we got the word to stay here in this location. And four days afterwards, the signs started coming. This gentleman that was in the corner just came around us and just walked into our church building and said, hey, would you guys like to buy my property? And then a week later, so that was on a Thursday, the following Tuesday, uh, there's a private sale of this one next door. And one of the guys that comes to our church who's on our board, Aaron Tulin, he's the sec or the finance guy, what do you call that? Treasurer. And uh, they, they just phoned him privately, not thinking anything other. They said, hey, we want to sell our building. Do you, would you guys be interested to, to buy it? private sale we got that one too so we are getting bang bang right there and we're going to just start taking over for impact avenue and uh, that's that's the goal so we want to that's what we're looking at doing uh for next week and so we're so thrilled and excited to do that you know what don't show that video just because i basically told the whole story show that video okay show that video hey thanks for listening if you live in the central alberta region of canada we would love to have you come out and check out one of our weekend messages for more info on all of our directions, service times, and children's programs, visit our website at impactlife.ca. That's impactlife.ca.